Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. There are not many people who can claim to have turned their hobbies into a business, but Ed O'Flaherty is one of them. He is one half of a successful partnership at Dental Practice Seapoint Clinic. However, he is also a successful entrepreneur in the drinks business. He got involved in distilling and was founder of the Dublin Whiskey Company in 2012, which became Dublin Liberty's Distillery, which he then sold to quintessential brands. He's currently a director of Rascals Brewing Company, a craft brewery, visitor centre and tap room in Inchicore. Tell us, first of all, about the, the business and the practice you've set up at Seapoint. It's quite successful and it's been going for a number of years. Yes, yeah, so we're nearly 15 years now. I was set up by myself and a business partner, Tom Linehan, who I went to university with as well. So I know him back a long, long way. And uh, we both went to London after graduation. We both saw what could be done over there. And that was kind of the, the vision that we had for Seapoint was to do something a bit different to what was done elsewhere. Mm. And Tom is one of the original um, website designers for Ryanair. So he... He came from a tech background and uh, he did help us do the website. And we had, I think, the best website for, I think we still have the best website, but we certainly had the very, very best website and probably the only website of a dentist at that time. It's interesting how paths cross because uh, I would have known one of the other guys who designed the website for Reiner. And the, the, the whole, um, you know, there was, there was a kind of a, you come across these entrepreneurs from time to time who you cross with history, but the, the dentistry is very different to web design, I have to say. And like, was it kind of like that? Like, I mean, I mean like I, I'm like most Irish people, I grew up in morbid fear of the dentist because it was like going to the butcher. And for most of us, it was kind of a real um, ordeal or something you dreaded. And obviously times change, people are more into, you know, they're obviously care about their appearance and you know, is that, um, did you did you catch that trend that was obviously happening? Very, very much so. I mean, our, our initial thing was all about trying to change the perception of dentistry. It was about, you know, people used to go to the place over the shop and they'd go up the stairs and they'd have the, the heart beating as you went up the steps and you'd be terrified <laughs> of what would be up there. Yeah, what, what, what scared me was the smell or something. There was something, was the, was the, was the, whatever, whatever, it was something about the smell of the, the studio that terrified me. It was, it was, it was like... Uh, yeah, it was just it was just the immediate the something alien about it anyway, and I don't think people like having their their the you know their their mouth being prodded with with things and then drills and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's but that's very different when you think about it in terms of if you apply customer service to that and you apply good commercial skills and you give people what they want, that's a whole different thing. Well, exactly. Yeah, we we tried to move away from that and just change the perception. Have something really nice and friendly and welcoming. And I always hated doctor's offices where you went in, there was a grumpy receptionist there with a face like thunder. And, you know, you're, you're nervous enough anyway, and you don't need yeah. to have that extra bad interaction. So everyone we have and have always had has been a really friendly, smiley person. Mm. You know, and that's a really, really key, important part of our success, I think, is the fact we've had a really, really good team over the years. And getting, just getting started in business, because just in terms of your own, your own background as, you know, as co-founder of it, I mean, had you basically trained in dentistry and you know where you're about to follow the traditional career of dentistry i got started i went in uh graduated in 2001 and say went to london for a year and a half after that and when i came back from london i worked as an associate in a couple of places around town and i kind of thought you know they're nice but i can do better than this and i went and bought my first practice in dunleary in 2003 and uh they say i joined with tom in 2006 and then we went on in 2007 to open seapoint there was a progression over time learning the trade and learning the uh, you know what works and what doesn't and what the patients want and what they don't and uh, it evolved over time and you know, to be fair it's still evolving this day we're still always trying to learn new things and see what people are looking for and trying to give it in the best possible way and I, I see that you've got a staff of about 40 people is that correct that's quite a big staff. yeah it's, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a big team we have 
Um, mm. we, we cater for a lot of specialties. You know, we do a lot of orthodontics. We do oral surgery, wisdom extractions. We do the whole range. And again, our plan was always to try and have as much in-house. So people don't like having to go to 10 places to get the dentistry done. They want to come to one place, you know, park in one spot and have it all taken care of together. And that's, ah. that's been a big thing for us as well. Because I, I was going to ask you that next question was, did you, do you ever see the potential of branching out in terms of more branches, more locations? Uh, but you kind of answered there in one way that you're saying really having it all in one place is kind of what people want. Yeah, I mean, if we were to do something, it would be, you know, a big centre somewhere else. And uh, we have patients from everywhere, you know, in Ireland coming to us. Um, so it's not something we, we see an urgent need to do, but it's definitely a possibility. Very good. So we've established that you're quite successful and you've run a regular practice. But what I really want to talk to you about is how you turned your hobbies into a business. Now, I, I doubt you would really call dentistry a hobby unless, you know, you know, you're a sadist or something in my mind. Sorry. But uh, but realistically, uh, let's just say you have uh, an interest in beers and whiskeys and spirits and you turned that into a hobby and actually you basically were a co-founder of the Dublin Whiskey Company, which became Dublin Liberties Distillery, uh, which you sold to quintessential brands. And you were also a director of the Rascals Brewing company uh, a craft brewer with a visitor center in Inchicore. Uh, tell us about that how how did you uh, get into that space and what why why was it of interest to you and how did you manage the time because most of us can barely hold down one job trying to do everything well you know manage it without running a, a practice a dental practice and uh, doing all these different entrepreneurial pursuits I suppose the love of whiskey and that came from childhood, I think. Not not from drinking it, but from seeing the history. <laughs> well, what kind of childhood did you have? My God. <laughs> and the heritage behind it. You know, I used yeah. to go for drives on a Sunday with my dad a lot and you drive around all these lovely old towns in Ireland and you see the beautiful mm. little buildings and you'd be driving through Kilbeg and you say, what's that? I'm looking at the window and you see the old distillery um, mm. and you drive through Monastereva and you see the old distilleries and it was, it was really kind of, it was bittersweet. It was kind of lovely to see the old history but very sad to see that it was just that. It wasn't actively anyone is stealing anymore. And that really, you know, annoyed me as I, as I got older. Um, because what, you know, we, we lost our industry and it wasn't because we made bad whiskey. It was because of, you know, politics. It was because of international trade problems and prohibition. So as I got older, I, I literally got involved in Dingle Distillery as an investor. I just, I met the accountant about that. It was an EIS scheme and uh, I loved it straight away. I met with Oliver Hughes and I was amazed by his passion. And he died a couple of years ago, but he was an unbelievable pioneer in, in brewing and distilling in Ireland. Um, so I, I fell in love with the project and thought it was amazing what was going on there. Um, but after about two years, nothing had really happened on the project and there was no updates as to what was going on. So I was hiking one day with a friend and the two of us said, why don't we do it ourselves? Why don't we set up a distillery ourselves? So crazy idea, you know, these things often come to nothing, but we said, look, let's go and try it. So we got a consultant involved. We... Uh, we looked around Wicklow for a while for a, for a spot. We were looking near Gendalock and along the road in there, but uh, nothing came up. And then just occurred to me one day, you know, Dublin was the centre of whiskey 100 years ago. I said, look, let's have a look in Dublin. And we came across the most perfect building in the Liberties, which was the centre of brewing distilling, you know, in Dublin. Um, it was a building from 1591. It was an old mill, a tannery, had a load of history to it. And it was on a, you know, an amazing location just off the corner, around the corner of St. Patrick's Cathedral. So from a tourism point of view, it worked from a, you know, a beautiful heritage situation. It worked as well. Uh, so we bought the building and, you know, we went from there and the rest is history. But that's that's how we got into it. Wow. And I, I, like, I mean, I mean, as I said, I, I was saying to you earlier, I, I, um, 
I enjoyed the product of other people's labor in that regard, but certainly the the, the business of it. Like, how did you find getting to grips with the realities of, of creating, um, I suppose, spirits in the first place? I mean, I think my understanding of it is also that, first of all, you have to have a certain amount of time on a still, or it has to be distilled for a certain period of time or number of years before then you can go from, say, gin to whiskey. That's my, my rudimentary understanding of it. How did you guys get into the actual business of creating a spirit? So I think you're right. I mean, they say distilling is for the next generation, you know, whereas brewing is you can make money within a, within a short period of time from brewing. You know, with beer, you make it today, you can sell it today or tomorrow. Whereas whiskey, like you say, you put it away for a few years. It's the worst business in the world in that perspective. You know, making a product, rather than making computers and putting them in a, you know, in a room for three years and then selling them, it just doesn't happen. So yeah. it's very rare to do that in business. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a great setup. So it's very hard to set up a distillery. But the reason we did it that way was because we wanted to set up a brand, but there was no stock available at the time. So uh, if you remember back, Cooley had been sold to Jim Beam around that time. And as a result, they cut off all the supply contracts to all the, the minor players, to all the brand holders. And it was literally, you know, set up a distillery from scratch or not be able to get into the business at that time. Wow. And that was quite like, what were the, I mean, the, the lessons you learned, I suppose, I mean, the... The technicalities of it, were, were you guys well aware of what was involved? Or, or We hired um, a whiskey consultant who was mm. uh, Dr. Jim Swan, and he won the world's best distillery, um, you know, at least once. So he had good pedigree behind him. He was a, a, you know, a taster for all these magazines and, and such. So he came along and he gave us a very clear plan of what we needed. And his whole thing was about optimizing every stage. So having every stage from the you know, initial grain selection to the barrel selection to the still design to be as good as it could be. So he designed custom stills for us and, uh, you know, put in place a really good framework for making fantastic whiskey. Um, and yeah, it was, it was literally having his expertise, plugging in 40 years of knowledge into our heads in the shortest possible time was was a key to it. Now, the thing is, you make it sound really easy and I doubt it was. What was the what were the hardest lessons you had to learn? Or- the biggest thing that knocked us for six was we were all excited about our, you know, distillery and we got an exemption, sorry, an architect told us we were exempt from planning because of the previous history of the building. And then we went to get our certificate from council and we were knocked back. So we were, oh dear, that, that's, uh, there goes our timelines for starting this. And then we said, right, we'll go for full planning permission. And as we got everything ready to go, two doors down from us, a planning permission notice went up for a distillery and visitor centre. So we were, uh, oh my God, who's this? What's this? And it turns out it was the Teelings. So they set up two doors down from us uh, while we were going through the, you know, the, the process. We, we were the first planned distillery in, in Dublin in 100 years, but they actually got the first distillery in there. In, the, oh. in and, did, and did that set you back or anything, or were you able to kind of kind of, kind of work in mutual harmony? Or? No, I mean, there's, no, there's no animosity. It's a, it's a great brand and they've done a great job and it's been great for the area and it's been great for Ireland. And I, I wish them you know, great success. Um, and it's lovely to see an independent Irish-owned distilling company as well you know Scotland has a lot of those but Ireland's had very few mm. so it's a great great thing but at the time obviously we were you know putting all our money into it we were you know we were up to our neck uh, in the whole thing and the last thing we needed was a new competitor opening up in you know two hours down from us and um, so it's not <laughs> like having it you know 20 miles away or whatever it's literally on our doorstep um, but talking to our consultant at the time Jim Swan he was he said to me look do you know the island of Islay and I said yeah, not really, but I knew of it as a distilling area. And he said to me, "There's like I think there's a 21 distilleries on this small island, and they all they all do well and they all survive." Uh, so he said, "You know, it's, it is what it is. Let's move on. You know, it'll be fine." 
And as things transpired, you know, it, it, it is fine and everything was was fine, but certainly it was a big fright at the time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a setback at the time for us, without a doubt. Now, the interesting thing, uh, you, you sold out in the end, you sold the company on, and the interesting thing is your timing of selling it also coincided with suddenly, I mean, at least in my eyes, there has been a surge in different gin brands, whiskey brands, a lot, lot of whiskey brands lately, but before that it was gin brands for obviously the, the journey they were on. But the, you know, everything from Dingle Gin, uh, there's the Gunpowder Gin from Leitrim, but they, these are, there's, there's many, many more. There's ones on Donegal, Kerry, Clare. I mean, everywhere you go, you're hearing more and more about these new brands that are emerging. Ones down in Kilkenny, I've seen my own eyes. They're amazing. Um, but the actual um, business seems to be just, or even to my eyes now, is exploding. Well, you just seem to have changed tack and uh, you sold the business. Yeah, so for me it was a it was a personal decision. Um, you know, we 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 had a we negotiated an agreement where we would be partners in the expansion of the distillery. And then circumstances changed for me. I had a firstborn baby, and I wanted to take some chips off the table. And uh, you know, like I was saying, it's for the next generation that you are involved in whiskey, and it would be you know 10, 15 years before there'd be a decent return. So I just decided from that perspective, there's an opportunity now to be bought out. And I knew it was in safe hands. I mean, the, the vision, our vision is aligned absolutely. You know, Quintessential did an amazing job, um, better than we could have done on our own, absolutely. Um, but it made sense to have them take over when there was, you know, intense competition from two doors away. Um, it wasn't, you know, as me as a dentist trying to compete wouldn't have worked. It needed to have some of the international skills uh, to, to take care of it. And you are still involved in the um, <clears throat> the brewing business. Uh, you, you have a have a brewery in Inchicore. Yeah, so um, we got talking to guys in Rascals, uh, so Emma and Cahill, who uh, were literally found this, you know, and it was literally the two of them, him brewing and her managing while she was doing a part-time job. And uh, we just literally met them at a beer festival, loved the taste of their beers. And back then, a lot of the craft beers didn't taste very well. In my view, a lot of them did taste like they were made in the bathtub. I think you're right. I think you're right because I've had a few beers lately and there's two things that happen. When I go to a supermarket, for example, and I pick a beer for a beer, couple of beers for the weekend or something, uh, I'm attracted by the labeling, the bottling, more so cans lately seem to be the thing. But the, you know, I like a little bit of a story behind them. I, um, I, I remember tasting, I, I, I've tasted everything from the bad to the good. And uh, lately, everything seems pretty good. But and I do think about maybe three or four years ago, things were particularly hoppy. If I remember just how I taste them, there's kind of a bit of a jarring feeling compared with if you had been just used to drinking lagers before that. But the taste seemed to have, you, you would say the quality has improved now in recent years. I think it's, I think it's vastly improved. You know, we didn't have any, you know, the, the small craft brewing sector wasn't that big. Mm. You know, five, six years ago, it was, you know, it was hobbyists. And uh, as a result, there weren't people who'd been trained in breweries and done, you know, a year or two or three in, in breweries and, and literally done apprenticeships. Whereas now, any brewer has got a, you know, a part-time job and another brewery, he's, he's made beer to a good standard for years. So there's, there's an ecosystem in Ireland now, which didn't exist a couple of years ago. And I think the whole quality as a result has gone through the roof. Mm. Um, obviously, at the time, I, you know, Rascals was a really, really good beer. That's why we thought, look, this is the best beer we've tasted. Let's get involved in this one. And the guys have been brilliant. You know, it's been a, you know, it's been really interesting working with them. And we we obviously went from a small unit in uh, where they were in Greeno Industrial Estate to uh, now a, a great unit in um, in in uh, Inchicore. So it's beside the Lewis. It's uh, very popular as a destination. Obviously now in lockdown, it's you know you can't visit right now, but 
we have a pizza takeaway going on as well, and people have a they can take kegs away, mini kegs, and all sorts of stuff. So it's a really popular off license, um, and we've done very well. Even with the lockdown, I was amazed how well we did last year. That everybody went online and bought, you know, supported the local business. Um, around the area has been really, really supported. We support your sponsor, St. Pat's Athletic, and uh, they've been really good to us. And, you know, it's, it's been lovely to work with the local business in the area. Yeah, I remember, particularly around April or May, when everything was locked down, I started hearing this phrase or term, growlers suddenly i wasn't aware of what growlers were and then there's suddenly people oh, i got i got a batch of beer made for me and i was oh, very posh in terms of the landscape then you mentioned there the isle of islay and uh how many 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 um say uh, distillers live coexist and do so quite well on the same island do you think ireland in the last having looked at the explosion say distilling and craft beers because uh, we have a landscape that's pockmarked which you know not everyone was like Guinness and survived. A lot of a lot of uh, breweries, particularly in r- rural areas, uh, disappeared overnight, particularly in the nineteen thirties and forties. But do you think do you think we've seen a resurgence then in that industry that could be uh, you know here for for many years to come? Absolutely. I mean, the, the sales of craft beer in terms of the overall beer in Ireland is, is low. I think it's about four or five percent, whereas American craft beer is about ten percent or more. You know, plenty so room to grow if people can support it. Um, big problem is pubs. You know, pubs are literally bought out. The taps are bought by the big, the big players. Mm. Um, and a lot of the big pubs will literally, you know, have a pre-booked, and you can't get near a tap in a big pub. So I suppose from that perspective, the lockdown hasn't been as bad for us. But these are, are, you know, in pubs we never did that well. We might get a tap from a nice, you know, from a good public, and who wants to try and have variety. Um, but a lot of pubs are just are shut out to craft beers. Um, so with the lockdown, people, have, you know, want to drink better. They want to have better quality stuff. And they don't want, you know, just the normal bland beers um, that's available. You know, if you're stuck at home, you want a nice beer, a bit of a history to it, a bit of quality to it. Um, and that's what's happening. So hopefully when things go back to normal, hopefully I think people will vote their feet and they will look for pubs that have a little bit more of an interesting mix. Um, that's what we'll be hoping. That, that's kind of why we did okay in the lockdown, I think, with people looking for quality. And in terms of your own future now, I mean, obviously very successful uh, uh, clinic there in, in Seapoint. Um, you're still involved in the brewing game. Um, now you've also got a young family that's been growing. Growing, So I suppose what would be your advice to people who maybe want to follow a passion or follow a dream? And, you know, if life permits them, because, you know, life life gets busy and, um, you know, there's, no, there's only so many hours in a day as well and only so much money in the bank. Um, but in terms of um, the advice you would have for people who may feel like following a passion alongside their existing uh, professional career? I think, like I say, if you can do it alongside what you're doing, that's the safest route. Um, because a lot of time, you know, it takes a long time to make money from a new venture. And, you know, probably takes five years to get uh, a good momentum going with anything you do, especially in the in drinks business. Obviously, you mentioned the years it takes to make the whiskey. Um, but even if you're doing, you know, spirits like uh, gins and vodkas, it takes time to build a brand, you know, and the first year is an absolute slog where nobody knows you and you, you know, go into a, I'm sure you go into a, an off license. They're like, who's this? Another GN, another whatever. Um, so it's, it, it's tough. Um, I think people need to be aware of how difficult it is to establish a brand um, and not think it's going to be fun and games and, you know, uh, just a hobby. So it needs to be more than, you know, it needs to be something sustainable where they're happy to work at it and really put the hours in and put the, the donkey work in for a good period of time. Um, but obviously, there's, the rewards are there if if, uh, if they do that. And there's nothing nicer than working on a project that interests you as well. 
That's great. Well, Ed, listen, thank you so much. That was a great story. Well told and, and uh, best of luck to you. I'll be looking forward to seeing what else you do now because you're still a young fella. So you have you know, plenty of time to, to do other things yet. So uh, listen, thanks very much, Ed. Great. Thanks, John.